This is the story of a real person. This is the story of a person with big dreams. These dreams led them to take risks. But you should know up front, this is not a success story. All right, we're here today on The Food of Despair. Did I make a huge mistake quitting my day job to do this, you know? That means my journey, I can take risks and chase things down. I think my biggest fear in all this is that all the effort to overcome the challenges of this past season would go by and ultimately be meaningless. So today we are here on The Pit of Despair with Jamie Ice, founder of 6F Homes and 6F Storytelling. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking through the highs and lows of entrepreneurship and zoning into specifically uh, a few moments of what we call pits of despair. Um, these are essentially moments or a season of life when unknown to the people around us, we're often struggling. And the one thing you put all your efforts into is not working or is at the risk of failure. So Jamie and I are going to dive into that. But Jamie, just to first off, thanks so much for joining. Yes, love it. Nothing like a good pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, uh, for those who don't know you, just can you share a little bit about uh, your growing up? Uh, you're from Fort Worth, but color us a little bit of, of your early upbringing and some of the early influences that were in, on your life. Yeah, so I am Fort Worth a native. I have lived within a three mile radius my entire life. Um, <clears throat> some people think that's very sad. I'm very proud of that fact. Uh, I, I literally, <laughs> I went to like Haskell High School, which is like one block over from TCU. And then I went to TCU and I dropped out of TCU. So and now I live down the street. Um, so literally living a, a three mile radius my whole life. Um, growing up, I was terrible at sports. I could like, I can't catch a baseball or throw a football to save my life. So my parents bought my brother and I musical instruments when very, at a very early age, I think when I was like sixth grade. Um, and, and we, we played, uh, we started a band together and we played Sweet Home Alabama in our the McLean Middle School Talent Show. And, <laughs> and I don't know that we were good, but I wasn't good at anything else. And so we like just by default, I think we eventually got good. But, but we started my freshman year of high school. Uh, so when I was like 15 years old and Jeff, my little brother, was an eighth grader, we started Green River Ordinance. And, and I played... Music with him and, and with a group of guys all throughout high school into college, um, and we we wound up signing a, a record deal, Capitol Records, which would have been my uh, senior year of college. We traveled the country, played music for like 16 years, um, and then kind of in, in between seasons of being on the road and traveling and having songs on the radio, um, started flipping houses uh, individually, personally, and then started kind of helping some friends do that and then doing it with, with my best friend, uh, Jimmy Williams. We wound up flipping uh, a lot of houses in the Fairmont neighborhood, which is where we lived. We buy these historic homes and, and renovate them and, and, and sell them. And uh, that, that started as a side hustle that I, we would do sort of while I was off the road. And uh, it, it grew into this, this giant thing. And so we, we started Sixth Avenue Homes out of that. I think we flipped like a hundred something houses and then we started having people call us saying, hey, can you help us buy, sell, renovate? So we started a company from that. And then- So, so okay, so you're lived in three mile radius. However, you, uh, from like freshman year, just b backing up, that was, that was a ton of information. I wanna like frame up a little bit of the person cool. of, of Jamie Ice of like you, uh, is it the original, like the original freshman group of guys and your brother 
is that that the same band that essentially like went all across the world or close to it? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it is. And 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 I would say like I am I am not and probably never was like that good of a guitar player. Like I'm an okay guitar player. There's like a million people who are way better than me. But but I was like I was the guy in the band who was like I love building a brand. And I, I was the one that was like, I want everyone to know the name Green River Ordinance, whether they like our music or hate our music. So I always had all these like crazy marketing things and initiatives and things we were doing with the band over the years. So I, I was I was probably less so the guy writing songs and more so like I, I managed the band on and off over the years. I did all, all my marketing. I booked the band for a season. Um, but but, but I, I think that's, you know, I, I would consider myself an entrepreneur now, and I. But I feel like you know, I, I I became a small business owner. You know, when we dropped out of college, my my senior year of of, of, of TCU, my parents like cut us off, and so at that point, like I am now have to sustain myself through music, and I became a small business owner. And so from the time I was like twenty years old, twenty one years old, like you know, we had a company, and this company had to sustain five guys. And we grew it to a, a, a pretty successful thing. So I just, you know, made a lot of, had a lot of pits of despair <laughs> in, that, in that journey, you know, learned a lot. But, but I think, you know, Green River Ordinance was sort of my introduction at a very early age into the world of business, which when you think of music, you don't only think of it in a business way, but like that, that's what jazz, that, that's what jazzed me up about what we were doing was the business side of it. I think some of the other guys were made way more, you know, instrumental in the music side of it and, and i was sort of always like the driving factor pushing that forward yeah i can't remember if if we talked about this but i do remember i was 16 years old my sister was at tcu and i thought fourth was pretty lame and then i went to Jiro concert at the at the aardvark and no, the paradigm started to shift um but uh the uh okay so tell me about like just you know you you dropped out what are some of those driving motivations that were at an early age kind of sustaining you what was getting you up you know and going you, you said you were storytelling you were doing these things but what was kind of sustaining jamie ice at that time i i think i i think the 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 freedom of it all like the the you have this giant plate of of things to choose from and and, and just realizing which i know that's kind of a weird analogy but realizing like that you can do whatever you want to do. And, and so, so not to get too philosophical, but I, I was a philosophy major at TCU. <laughs> and, and I remember being in an existentialism class. Um, and the whole point of existentialism is existence precedes essence. In other words, you exist, there's not really any meaning or purpose, so you create your own meaning and purpose. And, and, I, and I remember being in that class and the professor talking about, you know, life is meaningless, everything's meaningless. And because life is meaningless, you're, you have freedom to do whatever you want. And, and, and for me, you know, my a big thing that shapes who I am is, is, is my faith. I'm a spiritual person, follow Jesus. Uh, and, and for me, like my faith is something where, where, where I, I sort of see the end, like I can't mess it up. God loves me. I know I can't mess it up. I know the end is good. So I remember having this dialogue in my philosophy class. And with the professor saying, hey, you know, that sounds like freedom, but what sounds, what would be more freeing than knowing that, you know, the end of this whole thing is meaningless and pointless or knowing like, hey, at the end, I'm going to get a lot of ticket and win, you know, $500 million and there's nothing I can do to mess that up, but the end is really, really, really good. And he was like, well, that, that does sound like a little more freedom and a little more fun. And so I feel like 
that was an instrumental part of my life, knowing like I have the security. If God loves me and I can't mess that up and I know what my end is, that means my journey, I can take risks and chase things down and I'm freed from failure. Now, it doesn't mean you won't fail, but it just means like failure doesn't impact the end. And so I think, you know, what, what, motivates, what motivated me, like, you know, when my dad was like, you should go to business school and study business and, and drop all these people were like dropping out of school to play music is a dumb thing. I was like, I can't mess this up. There's a lot of freedom here. So, you know, we're going to go buy a van and trailer and travel around the country and play music. And I think that that was a, a you know, a defining point of like who I was then and also like who I am, you know, 25, 15 years later, you know, that, that's that concept of freedom. I can't mess this up because I know the end is good you know, has allowed me to take some really big risks and pursue things that I loved versus doing things that I'm like expected to do or might be much safer. You take this mentality of like, okay, I can't screw this up, which is probably one of the most kind of, you have to have some element of risk tolerance and being an entrepreneur, but in house flipping, it doesn't always go in your favor. Y'all start flipping houses in Fairmount. Tell us about that like first flip or, you know, like what, yeah. what's happening at that time? I mean, like I didn't have any money, uh, you know, playing, being a musician, like there's not a lot of money in that, even if you it is going well. Um, and I, like I had, my, my, Melissa and I, my wife had flipped our own houses a couple of times, bought a house, remodeled it, sold it, did it again. And I was like, man, I wish, I wish we could do that, you know, to make money, but I don't have any money, I have to have money to buy a house. So, so anyways, I never pulled the trigger. And then one day there was, there was a foreclosure down the street from where we lived. And I was like, this is a really good deal. I went to Jimmy, I was like, dude, it would be so rad if we could buy this. So we went and looked at it and he was like, this is a really good deal, we should buy this. So we called the real estate agent, we we're like, we wanna buy this house. And she's like, well, it's a foreclosure. Uh, and so you have to have cash. Do you have, you know, $97,000? And we were like, yeah, totally like, we had $5,000. <laughs> um, and so we signed a contract. We each put together 2,500 bucks each, gave her our $5,000. It was non-refundable. They're like literally all we had and signed this contract. And, uh, and just because we knew it was a good deal. And so then the next thing we started calling banks, I called like 10 banks and all the banks were like, we're not lending a musician and a cop, uh, money on a foreclosure. And so everybody told us no. And so we were freaking out. And, and so just started calling people and met this guy who I knew was an investor. Um, you know, pitch, pitched him on like, hey, you should lend us a hundred thousand dollars, and and he did at like fourteen percent interest. And uh, so, so you know, I, I think what we what we learned there was you can buy houses without having any money, and that was like. So the next thing we know, we bought six houses that summer. Um, and, and and so again, like you know, I there there's a weight there. I'm not going to lose this guy's money. Like I I'm not you know diving so much into freedom that there's not consequences. There are like extreme consequences if you lose money, there are extreme consequences if you make bad mistakes. But but I think, you know, we knew this was a, there was an upside to it. And so, but we were kind of, had the freedom and maybe the craziness to to take that plunge and dive into it where, where, where maybe, you know, most people might've said, hey, that that's an unwise uh, decision. Yeah. When you see so rose to six houses that summer, that's hilarious. Of like going from just like I don't even know how to do this to like let's just you know let's hit the gas. What was drawing drawing you into that? I, I think it was I think it was it, one. It was fun, you know, doing work with with my best friend. I think two, just seeing the transformation. Like like part of the motivation was 
this is our neighborhood. This is kind of around where I grew up. Like I want to see this neighborhood awesome. I love old homes. I love seeing things restored. And so I, I think an element of this is fun. Like two, like I want to, I want to see my neighborhood awesome. And then three, this, this, it was something that I was kind of good at. There was a creativity to it that I got to apply. You know, it was a creative outlet in the same way music was a creative outlet kind of making interesting homes. And then seeing the effects of like, and a lot of those, I like moved my friends into the neighborhood. Like we wound up selling them to like friends and people we knew. And so like, we're bringing our friends to our neighborhood. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it was just neat. And it was something that I could do, you know, with GRO, I'd be gone two or three months at a time. I'd be home for like a month or two. We would, we would tackle a house and, and work on a house. In, in that same, around that same time, that was like 2011, 2012, we also, with a group of friends, um, said, let's open up a, a coffee shop restaurant. And so we, we, we uh, which again, didn't know anything about it, uh, but just kind of had these grand ideas of making our neighborhood better and creating places where people could gather. Um, and, and so we opened up Brood. I opened up Brood with four, uh, three other families, three other couples. My wife and I did that in 2011, 2012. There's something kind of interesting. Jamie, did you see any correlation between your, your placemaking in these houses that you're creating and some of them you're selling to your friends and then, you know, your placemaking through Brood. Did you see any of that? Kind of tying into just even looking back at like the types of placemaking moments you're creating with GRO and like shows and concerts. Like, did you see any kind of like skills or gifts that you had learned from just like what it looks like to create an experience and then how that played into how you thought about placemaking uh, here, here in Fort Worth? Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to flip that word maybe a little bit. Like I, I think the correlation for me was, was two things it was one you know, there's there's not necessarily a lot of a lot of money in music, uh, and there's also not necessarily a lot of money in the restaurant industry. Uh, and, and I, but I think like all of those, even the flipping houses, I think that the, the it wasn't about the money; it was about doing things that were purposeful and meaningful and 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 fun. And I think with both with all of those with music, I was like, I don't like I could go make money doing something else, but this like gives me joy, mm-hmm. and I. Think you know, with, with brood in the restaurant and, and even the, the house to me is like, it's like, it just, it brought, we were doing something that felt bigger than us. And I think the mission behind brood was like, this was a, this wasn't about making money. This was like creating a space where people could gather. It was also shaping and impacting our neighborhood. It was bringing some of the things that I saw on the road in New York and Seattle to Fort Worth. And, uh, and, and, and so I think, I think there was that element. I think the other thing that I learned that I brought to each of those ventures was like, I, love growing and building brands. I love, I think which is why I'm doing marketing today is I I love taking something and then getting that out into the world. And I think that sort of, I started to flex those muscles more. I was doing that in GRO, but started flexing that with Sixth Avenue, you know, and why it kind of took off the way it did. And the same with Brood, I I like did all the marketing and ran the marketing stuff and got that off brand off the ground. And, And I was like, man, this is fun. This is, this is in my wheelhouse. You know, operating a restaurant, doing construction, even playing guitar, like I am like probably half-assed at those. <laughs> I am really good at like, you know, telling a story. Okay, so things start going fairly well. I mean, like obviously we don't know all the details of each each moment, but y'all start flipping a lot of houses. Was there like a moment where you're like, we made it. Like this is like a real company. Like you feel kind of like more of a mountaintop in that rise 
um, with Six Ave? Was there a year or kind of a moment that you look back on uh, that marks that kind of occasion for you? Um, yeah, I, 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 a little bit, yes. I, I think like my, my sort of like greatest strength and also like my Achilles heel is that, is that I'm always looking into the future and want more. You know, like where flipping is going really, really good. And we're like, you know what? We should turn that flipping into, we should launch a real estate brokerage and we should launch a construction company where we help people. And so I think like it's going really good. And as it's going really good, we're saying this could be much bigger than it is. So let's reinvest all that money into something else, which takes a lot more work and energy and time. And so, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we had some months where like, I can't believe we just did all this. But I, I think instead of like doubling down on that, like let's make that really, really profitable and really go well. We said let's let's keep expanding and growing and doing what we what we do, which causes even more problems and things and work for it. So I don't think we've ever we've ever been like we got it figured out. We we landed it. I think I, I wish I had more of that where I paused and reflected it and had gratitude. You know, I think you know I I wrestle with being content and in the moment and celebrating. I'm always like, what's next? Jamie, where does that dissatisfaction come from? Um, <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I think we all have a little bit of like restlessness in us. And I think for me, I, I like, I, I have a boredom. And again, I think, I think that is kind of my superpower, but I also think that's like my weakness. Like if you ask my wife, you know, one of, one of the things I, I mentally try to do is be present. I have a hard time being present and uh which you know it's, it's a curse and a blessing you know i, I think um I don't, I don't know where, where where i would say it comes from but i know like as i've gotten older like that's something i try to work on a lot and i think even you know e even during we're jumping ahead we're going to the pit of this bear land but even like yeah, the, let's do it. the coronavirus like I, I remember like every day i i wrote these words down i have everything i want i have everything i need um to fight against my need to like want more and buy things and spend money. Like, yeah. you know, and, that, and that's a lyric from a Zach Brown song, which is also really cheesy, but that like Zach Brown lyric sort of became my mantra. I have everything I want, I have everything I need because I don't always feel that way. Uh, so I think, I think just self-awareness that you do that is important and pushing into like, I, I can be content right here with what I have even when things are going really hard. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. And I, I think that, so many other entrepreneurs like that's part of their fuel right but it, it's it's can be it's without a question powerful right but it also is like we talk talking internally at craftwork about like clean fuel and dirty fuel and like what uh fuel you can like you can start a car and drive it pretty fast with dirty fuel but eventually the car is going to break down right yeah. but then there's there's still something in there of like a dissatisfaction doesn't necessarily have to be wrong it can be something that is is dissatisfying to me like you're longing for something more for your city for the people around you for your family like that yeah. doesn't have to be bad like it but yeah. it uh it's powerful and so i'm glad you've had time in this season to to kind of zone into being content um okay but before we go into 2020 tell me about 2019 things are going fairly well for you guys you're you're blowing and going flipping houses starting new ventures uh, and then tell us, like, how did 2019 transpire? Yeah, I was, what's funny is I look back in 2019 and, like, that year kicked our ass. And then 
2020. Okay. Uh, so I, I will say like 2019 started out like as a great year. Like our we launched Six Avenue Homes, which which is a real estate brokerage, a construction company, and a design company. And and we have like 20 real estate agents. We have a bunch of construction stuff going. We have we're still doing our flips. We have interior designers. Things are going well. In early 2019, we won. Uh, we actually won Small Business of the Year. Uh, from the Forward Chamber of Commerce. We won Emerging Small Business of the Year and then Overall Small Business of the Year. And so maybe at that moment, I was like, we've done it, we've made it. Like, you know, I, I think it, it was it was around then that that might've been like a highlight, but but then like literally a week later, um, uh, a group of people, specifically one individual, wrote these letters to the mayor and the Star-Telegram and the business press so wrote all these letters basically saying like uh, Sixth Avenue Homes does not deserve that award. You should take away their award. They don't care about historic things. Uh, and so we had, we just like had all this success. And then, you know, th this letter came out and, and, uh, and the star telegram wrote this article that wound up on, on the front page of the Sunday morning newspaper that said are millennials killing Fairmount, uh, ruining Fairmount, and it had a Sixth Avenue Homes sign on on it. And I was like, I it rained. It's like, right, it's right here on my wall. Um, so which turned, which spiraled into this this whole, I don't know, sort of dialogue and and like four to three different Fort Worth Weekly articles came out about it. But but this this was not the first time you had heard from someone that like like Fairmount as a fellow resident in Fairmount. People get on their high horse about historic homes. We love our neighborhood. We both live in historic homes. They're great, right? Yeah. No, nothing to say against them. But this just seems like a little bit different than just, I don't know, the the neighborhood uh, enforcing some of its historic policies saying, hey, you didn't do it this way or, or someone criticizing. It's like, it's on the front page. So like, what was different other than maybe how public it was? What was different about how you responded when like, uh, maybe not a common criticism, but something you had heard at some point before. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some some of the things that I, I think at its at its core is is we we have always I've always kind of like been like screw you, I'm gonna do things my own way. Uh, just in, in in general, which again is sometimes is good, sometimes it's really bad. And and, and I think in doing that, uh, had isolated a lot of people in our neighborhood. I think I, I also got a lot of press and a lot of buzz about some of the stuff we were doing, like magazines and news stuff what we're doing and i think people thought that, that 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 i thought that i was like the savior of of our neighborhood and at the same time we were like painting houses crazy colors uh we were doing really funky things that weren't necessarily historic um and we were moving in young people and 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 and, and also had like had done things uh we hadn't always done things like by the book again i'm not i'm not a huge rule follower and so instead of instead of asking for permission we asked for forgiveness a lot and so there, there was a group of people that, that, that really we, we had isolated and just by just doing our own thing and not always going through the, through the proper channels and uh and, and we would we would we would take a house and we restore it to his, do it to historic code you know but we might not have like have asked permission on how we did it yeah should have yeah. done that that's wrong, you know. And, and, and in this particular instance, it was a, a house that literally it was horrible, 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 horrible. And we like brought it back historically, um, but the the brick 
chimney got painted, which you're not supposed to do, and that which was an accident, like it, like it was unintentional. Any, anyways, learn of, of lessons from that. But but I think it man, it was going from, and, and I'm someone that I like people to like me, and I think I like I. I don't know that I need people to like me, but I like, I like me and, and I, like, and legitimately like our intentions with all of us, again, wasn't about money. It was about like, we were trying to make, do things great for our city. Yeah. And so I think it, it, people that didn't know me characterized us as sort of as like greedy developers who were just doing things for money. And I think, and it, and it was, it was hurtful. Like we had, we had spent so much of my life and sacrificed so much and had given blood, sweat and tears and our family's time and energy for a city and then to have a, a on the <laughs> on the newspaper and all this group of people saying you're actually destroying it like was was emotionally taxing and so you know that that was at the same time we'd also like been a little cocky and aggressive in some of our flips and had like a couple of flips that were like just losing tons of money um, and so it, it, you know that was a, a a trying season i think that that's one of the hardest things is is pe- People don't understand people who are not entrepreneurs. Like it's really easy to write a certain narrative about other other people when you see them. And the word profit off of is like such a dangerous thing. When it like profitability for you as the business owner is simply like sustaining yourself. It's putting food on the table, right? Like it all. I tell our team like we don't pursue profitability because it's this thing where we can all make a bunch of it's like no we, we're just profitability equals sustainability if we can do successful flips then we can continue to do this thing and continue to like listen to our neighborhood and and what they need and, and respond but continue if it if it doesn't go profitable then like the the show's up right so i, I clarify that for uh, a lot of people who aren't necessarily in the uh in in the venture and having to fight it out but uh, tell tell me about just in the midst of you know you go from mountaintop winning uh new venture entrepreneur of the year then you you face these headwinds what type of and then on top of that you're like wanting people to like you when people are like publicly saying hey i really don't like you i hate you how did how did you cope with that uh i I mean uh, you know again like going back you know i think what was neat was it was it was neat saying there was a as these people were saying that there was another group of people that saying like, man, they have really done neat things like, and have helped. Like there's a lot of people that came to our defense, which is, which is cool. Uh, but, but I think like how we coped it, coped with it was, was a, a couple of things. Like one of my, one of my favorite quotes that I, that I clung to during that season was just the, the Theodore Roosevelt quote. There's the man in the arena. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, it it's a, uh, I saved it on my computer because I felt like we're going to go here. But it's, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short and short again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, great devotions, who defends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of triumph and high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he has fails on daring greatly. Um, th- th- that, it's a quote and, and we named our daughter Roosevelt. Our daughter's name is Roosevelt. This is one of our favorite quotes, but, it, but it's like, just have to remind ourselves like, man, there's a lot of critics who are in the stands and like trying to remind myself, and this is a, a Brene Brown idea based on this quote is that like, listen to the people who are in the, in the arena. So, so I think one, you know, like, there's people who just don't know you, who don't know your motives, who don't know your intentions. And like, 
you know, focus on the people who are you're doing the best you can. I know I'm going to fail. I know I've done things wrong. So I think pressing into that idea was one thing. I think the second thing that that came from that was, man, it, it, there's a humbling effect. And I think humbling is sometimes really, really good. And so it, it forced us to look at how we do things and how can we do them better? How can we, you know, make sure we're, we are following all the historic guidelines and doing it right. And so I think we had to really evaluate how we operated as, as a business and, and press into that. And there caused a lot of growth. I think that uh, the other thing is like, I really, I really wrestled with like, do I hate these people? <laughs> like, like, like I, like part of me wanted to just stick my middle finger up and be like, screw you. Yeah. I'm gonna do my own thing. And, and I had to like fight that. Cause I feel like that, you know, when you hate someone, it, it, it it's toxic for your soul. And so I think one of the, one of the things I did, like the, the lady that literally wrote these letters to everybody that called, started this chain ball of, of everything. I was like, uh, I was like, can we meet for coffee? So we, we met for coffee and, and going into that, I've like kept going back and forth with all these emotions of like, should I tell her to screw off or like, what should I do with that? And kept, but, but going into it, I was like, man, I prayed and I was like, I just want to go into this, like, open. I want to go into it. I want to go in as, as characterizing her. And so I, I went in and uh, I I started off by apologizing. I was like, I just want you to know, like, you know, one of our, one of our values is that we're committed to, you know, loving our neighbor and we're committed to making our neighborhood better. And, and you are my neighbor and I have like neglected you and ignored you and kind of given you the middle finger. And so uh, it, it made me evaluate like some of the things that we say we're about, we're about community. She's in my community, but I've like haven't invited her in to speak into what we're doing. And so I got to apologize to her. I got to hear her story. It was really neat. Like we left that meeting. It was like a two hour meeting. We left it like hugging, like, and I think we left it friends wow. and it was, it was really re redemptive. I feel like I learned a lot from her. I feel like she got to hear our heart and, and I got to apologize and ask, ask for forgiveness and when you do that, it just it disarms people. And um, you know, one thing one thing that's fun is like every like flip now that we do historic flip in Fairmount, uh, she's kind of has become an advisor. And we literally say, "Hey, we we just got this new house. Can you go look at it and meet with our designer and tell us what to do? Because we're like we'll literally do whatever you want us to do mm. to make it, make it right." And so it's kind of been fun. She's like helped us on you know ten or so projects, and now like is sort of our our, our advisor. And we you know. Some neat, neat things have come from it. That's so cool. And our business is, is way better. Yeah. I feel like it, we, we're way better in what we do because of that. There's something about accountability that really, I've seen this in our own organization and whether it's to me or to our team, uh, to one another, like when you have that level of accountability, it really raises the bar and like mm -hmm. it's, it, it challenges you in a way that creates like good friction. I always like nothing good in life like is created easily. Like bourbon takes 12 years to make really good or wine, like the best wine is from the grapes that, you know, are hardest to grow, the areas that are hardest to grow. It's like the the friction and the, the challenges of life, I feel like bring forth some of the most like uh, beautiful fruit. And so it's really cool how you took an ugly situation and, and completely turned that around. Um, and, and flashing forward a little bit, there, like you go through this in 2019, it's, you know, things are going fairly well, but it was a, a beating of a year. And then you have some new vision for 2020 and a new application of your gifts. Tell me about 
that. Yeah, and so so we, you know, I, I feel like we we kind of came out of twenty nineteen strong. We we paid off a lot of debt that we had from making bad choices. We kind of recovered from all from some bad PR. You know, we were in a very stable place, and and I I had also done a lot of um, consulting. I was working with a, a, a group of people and developers uh, downtown on some projects. Um, and for, through some of those, they, they they said, "Hey, can you can you do some marketing for us?" And I had always joked about wanting to start a marketing company. I feel, I feel like that's honestly kind of what I'm probably best at and gets me the most excited. And uh, had had sort of a vision of like you know a different kind of marketing, marketing based on storytelling. Like that with all of our brands, I'd always said like you know people don't buy advertising; they buy great stories. And that had been our approach. We used organic social media. Uh, in a way, instead of saying, hey, come buy this thing, I was like, hey, here's a story of what we're doing and, and had a lot, of, a lot of success with that, but but could never find a marketing company that really got that approach and vision and, and could do, do it. So I kept wrestling with the hiring people and outsourcing it, doing it myself. So anyways, this, this group of people approached me and said, hey, can you take over our marketing? And I was like, yes. Uh, <laughs> I did not have, I had no <laughs> team or ability to do it, but I said yes. Uh, but but went and put together a team um, to do a marketing team. So we, we launched sort of secretly under the radar. I didn't tell anybody, like, but last summer, fall. So I guess that was still in 2019. Sixth Avenue Storytelling is what we, what we call it. But we took we started working with uh, some really really great brands like Sundance Square and, and Sundance Pavilion um, and and Mel Ice Creams. We did a little bit of work for for Craftwork too. But yeah. With you guys before before we told anybody, and so I had just gotten that off the ground. So going into 2020, we just launched this marketing company that was doing really really well. Six Avenue Homes was like doing the best it had ever been been doing, and and so I had this momentum and sort of these new 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 ventures and new things and and, and a new new team, and uh, and then March happened. I re- I blacked out. What happened in March? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I think talking about like the, the pit of despair, like you know, it, it it was the first time. Like we'd always dealt with issues, always dealt with like, oh, this project's going mad. These people are mad at us. Yeah. Something's going wrong. There's always something going wrong if you have businesses. But this was the first time where everything was going wrong. And so, you know, with the construction company, you know. We, we had all these jobs lined up. We thought we were going to have a great year and all of them canceled. So construction mm-hmm. are, literally went from like, you know, all this revenue coming in to zero. And then on the real estate brokerage and our agents, you know, it went from like, man, we're going to have the best year we've ever had to no one's going to buy houses again. Mm-hmm. And then on, uh, I also have a bunch of rental properties and Airbnb properties. <laughs> and then all, our Airbnbs all, everyone canceled so now like we have these rental properties and they're canceled but i still have to pay a mortgage on them you know what are we going to do there and, and then on the, the marketing side like i just hired this new team my biggest payroll i have I have a six-person team and payroll and the, the 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 group that had hired us to do all their marketing said we're pausing all developments all the consulting stuff i was doing stopped and they also said we're gonna we're gonna stop all marketing because we don't want people you know Coming down down here right now, so so we I think at the time and we, we and I hadn't even told anybody we were doing this. So I had this team, and we, I think we had seven clients at the time, and six of those immediately went went away. And so we literally had one, one client. And thought, like it felt like the world was 
was I was like, why am I an entrepreneur? This is horrible. Why can't I just like work for somebody else? And I have like, I don't just have one business that's on fire. I have like five uh, businesses that are on fire. And it t tell me, just like, give us a little insight into it's, you know, late March, early April. What do you start? What do you start doing? What was what was your response to this? Um, so I, I, there was about a period of, of like two weeks where I, I literally felt like I was I went into a pit. Like I went, I was just like dark and I, I you know, just just depressed and like just felt really broken and helpless. And, and I, you know, I, I kept like, why is this happening? But, you know, why is it happening? Uh, and, and that lasted about a week and a half, two weeks. And, and I felt like there was, there was a moment where Jimmy and I, my business partner are meeting and, and, and we sort of said, Hey, we're going to change our attitude on this. Instead of saying, asking, why is this happening? We're going to start asking, what does this make possible? And so we sort of made a, a conscious decision to, to change how we looked at this whole scenario. And, and, and instead of just seeing it like as a storm where you got to hunker down from the storm, we're like, this is, this isn't a storm. This is like an ice age. <laughs> let's, let's change what we're doing and not just think, treat it as something that we have to hunker down and let's treat it as like, we got to change our business to, to adapt. And there's lots of things that are made possible because of it. Um, we, well, I'll, I'll get into some of those, but, but I think on a personal level, you know, I, I felt like all these things were not in my control. I like, mm. couldn't. Anything. So, so during when I sort of made the attitude change, I also said like, "Man, what are things I can control personally? How can I control like, my own personal well-being?" And I can't go into the gym, I can't go into the office. Like I'm here, yeah. so I, I, you know, I, I, I said I am, I'm going to control my health, and I'm going to control my routine, and I'm going to control my 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 habits because those are like, like I can't get out of this thing if I don't mentally prepare myself to be the best version of me. Hmm. And so I like, I, I very quickly kind of established a routine. I started getting up earlier than I ever have gotten up before. And I would spend an hour to two hours every single morning uh, in prayer in reading in journaling and then in exercising. I made a commitment, like I'm going to sweat every single day and I'm going to, because the only thing I came to is I'm going to be the best version of, of me. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that was really helpful. Like I, I remember like, <laughs> I remember like doing, I, I have a Peloton, so I grab my Peloton and I also have like these perfect push-up things, which are kind of hard. And I would do those. Which, which your Peloton routine, I, if I heard through the grapevine, is a little bit different than other people's Peloton routine. Is that it correct? Is. I, I don't actually watch the classes. I watch action adventure movies um, <laughs> when I ride the Peloton because they like motivate me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I remember like doing push-ups and just being like, I have to do hard things today. So I'm going to start by doing hard things. Mm. Mm. And like making myself do pushups. So I like couldn't. Yeah. So I would, until I would like fall down. So I, I, I found a routine. Cause I was like, that's, that's something I can control. I can't control what else is happening outside, but I can at least control. Like I'm going to sweat. I'm going to engage my mind. I'm going to speak truth to myself. I'm going to like prepare myself to like do really, really hard things today. Mm. I love that. That's so good, Jamie. Uh, is there anything that you, like wish you could have told yourself like prior to all this happening like is there anything looking back just i know it feels like a lifetime but it's you know only been like eight months now you know since then but if you could have told yourself like a pandemic news starts coming in what do you wish you would have known at that moment you know i you know i think it would have been nice if we'd like let's save some money and have a cash reserves um 
you know, at a practical level, I think, I think that I, I, I do think like, I don't know that, you know, I, I like, I, th- I think there was like some, some, a lot of good and refinement that, that came out of it. I, 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 I will say like on a, on a principle, I don't know. I don't know that I have the answer. I like, I, I don't know that I would change it. I, th- I honestly think like, mm. I don't know that I would change any of it. Cause I think it was ultimately really, really good for us. I think we are, I'm a better leader. I'm a better father, mm. better, you know, our businesses are better, are better because of it. Like it was really, really good. You know, kind of use your analogy earlier of like age makes things like tension makes things better. Mm-hmm. A, a rock tumbler, you put these ugly rocks in, you shake it up, and it's real violent and loud, and they're banging. Yeah. It comes out pretty. Yeah. I don't know that we come out pretty yet, but but I feel like we are better. We're a better company because of what happened. Yeah. But I, I, I will say this: like a, a principle is, I, I had to make a choice. You know, we had just started this marketing company. I had these employees and, and people that I had just hired that are now depending on us for their livelihood. But we didn't have a website. I hadn't told a single person that we're doing this marketing stuff. Like, and we just lost all the business. So I had, I had to make a choice. Do we shut this down or do we try to go for it and pick up, launch a company and get marketing clients? Like ask people to spend money on marketing in the middle of a global pandemic. Mm. And, and that was there was a lot of like wrestle back and forth. It would be easier to shut this down. Mm-hmm. It would, you know, there's no way you're going to get business in a pandemic. No one's going to write you marketing checks yeah. right now. But but I had you know one of the things that, that that is important to my life and how we function as a company is is having a vision and goals. And and we had just done this. We had just done that. You know, what's our three year goal? What's our five year goal? What's our ten year goal? And on a personally and for a company and in each of those on my, on my personal goals and in my business goals was the marketing company was a part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I felt a, a strong conviction of this is part of my plan. This is part of my vision. I also feel like God told me I'm supposed to do this, which I know that's dangerous to say things like that, but I felt like this is something I am supposed to do and pursue. And I've written it down. It's on a lot of different places. Like I'm going to go for it. Uh, again, kind of, you know, and I, even if I fail huge, I'm going to go for it. And so I, I think just, you know, like I, we, so we did, we pressed in and we went for it, but I don't think we could have done that or I would have done that had I not, you know, six months before spent a lot, a lot of time on our goals and vision for where we were going. Yeah. No, I think that that's such an important piece, Jamie, they just hit on of like, in order to press through hardship, you need vision because I think like you, you need clear vision and do, do the work to kind of set what's that thing that's our, the, you know, the 10 year big goal or five year big goal, whatever that is. Because uh, I think that often what we hear from other entrepreneurs is that they have this basically like, I would still do this again if I knew it was going to fail because mm-hmm. something about that mission, that vision that you have, is so clear that it fuels you regardless of like what you're facing. Um, and so I think it's, it's a good reflection even for me of like, don't forget to do the work to set vision because hardship's going to come. We like it does 2020 aside, like it's just 2019 was hard. 2021 is going to be tough. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, what's that clear vision for you, for all of us um, that kind of keeps you getting up at, at you know, in the middle of the day. So, yeah. um, I mean, in the hearts of like, it, it refines you. Like that, that's where you find out who you are and it makes you grow. You know, like, man, I, I think if we hadn't have gone through all the crazy stuff we've just gone through, like 
I, I would have missed out on so much, like so much growth. I feel like as a, as a person, I'm a very different person. Than I was in early 2020 and as a business, we're a very different business. Like even having like the bad press 2019, like we are a better business because of that stuff. You know, we are Sixth Avenue as a whole is stronger all across the board because of all the stuff we had to double down on and push into and fight through together with our team. Our team team is like, man, we are like, we're like soldiers that just went to war. Uh, I think I, I, and and again, I'm like an optimist to a fault, like Enneagram seven, like maybe to an unhealthy view where I like, everything's always great. And so my wife jokes like, you know, 2020 for me, like, was the, probably the one hardest years of my life, but also like, man, I, it's been really, really, really good. Yeah. And I know that sounds ridiculous when I say that. It's probably unfair when I say that to some people, but I, I think the goodness is the growth that came from the hardship. Totally. No, that's great. Um, cool. Jim, I think that's an, an awesome place to wrap up, but with each one of our podcasts, it, we have four questions called the human four that essentially uh, we want our listeners to know that they're talking with a real human on the other end. So they're a little bit more odd questions, but getting into uh, knowing that uh, you're a, a real dude. Uh, and so to start, uh, what do you wake up and eat for breakfast? Man, I, I have a weird, again, like I'm really intentional with habits, like, like habits, the way you conquer goals is like by little bitty pieces, little bitty steps. And like, if I can cultivate habits in the morning that set my day up for the best it can be, is is helps me flourish so in the morning i i wake up and the very first thing i do is uh, i i take a glass of, of water and i put a scoop of like ginger powder and i put like uh, a couple of tablespoons of, of apple cider vinegar in it and then i put a couple of tablespoons of chlorophyll in it and it's like this turns green and smells and tastes horrible and i like chug a whole glass of that my, my daughter calls it daddy's green juice so I do that and then I like, I'll, I'll go do, I'll, I'll read, I'll do my, my stuff I do, I'll work out and I'll, I, uh, I take a ton of crap ton of vitamins because, because of, of COVID, I like got really into vitamins because like I'm going to try to be as healthy as I can and so I like 20 vitamins. Um, and then a lot, a lot of times, sometimes I have a protein shake, but, but every day I at least have my like, I do my vitamins and I do my apple cider vinegar chlorophyll drink. Which is weird. That sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> um, okay, what's uh, the song that you're most likely to sing in the car that you want to be caught dead sharing on a podcast? Oh man, did I? I need to prep for that. Um, <laughs> the song that I wouldn't. Uh, you know, like I. It's, what's funny is I have a bunch of musician friends who follow me on Spotify. I guess you can like follow people on Spotify. <laughs> And if you were to look at my Spotify, it's all a hundred percent like little kid music. It's yeah. like Elsa and Frozen and Mary Poppins and like literally today, the only thing that I have played on Spotify is the Wizard of Oz soundtrack because Rosie has been really into the Wizard of Oz. And so like I dropped the kids off, we were listening to the Wizard of Oz, and then I like drove to work listening to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I guess let's let's refine, let's refine the question. I I have daughters too and you know, it, what song do like you drop your kids off and then it, like it starts playing, but you're not mad at it. Like you're just kind of like, oh, no, this is this one's pretty good. I, you know, I, I'm kind of okay with mo most most of them. I, I would say like, man, guilty. My my main guilty pleasure. I love 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 '90s rock. You know, I, I think mm. that's the stuff that 
that I get in my car and I turn that really, really loud and like, you know, or I put it on in the office sometimes. Like Collective Soul is one of this, this bands that like it's kind of like cheesy '90s hard rock and yeah. and uh, like my marketing team was like younger than me and they all like make fun of it. <laughs> but I like love, I don't know that that's that's another kind of like guilty pleasure. That's I, awesome. I'm apologetic about Matchbox Twenty and Counting Crows. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Those are that was like that was an on ramp for me. Uh, of, of alternative music, uh, both of those bands. Okay, then uh, third question: go to dance move. Go to dance move. Um, uh, my wife calls them the, the blades. Kind of go like this. Is it a video podcast? It's not a video podcast, but raising arms to shoulder, shoulder. I don't know how to describe a dance. In a very pointy way. I point my arms forward like that. It's good. It's good. Uh, okay, then last question, and maybe plays to your strengths as an optimist. But what's your hope from here? Uh, I, I mean, my, you know, again, my, my hope is like the end is good. God mm. loves me. God's for me. I know the end is good. Like that's that's what I put my hope in. I think my hope and what I'm trying to, to do is, as, as I'm in a season where I'm getting to help a lot of businesses and brands grow, and we've gotten to help a lot of businesses come out of coronavirus and come out of the pandemic and come out of the recession and stay afloat and grow. And that has been a lot of fun. Mm. And it's like, I literally, right before this, this, this call, I had another call with a, a new client we're about to start working with. It's just been like decimated in this thing. Mm. And, and we get to, to walk alongside them and, and dream and like team up with them. And so I, I think the thing I am excited about, hopeful about is getting to help more businesses get through this and pivot and, and build their following and yeah. just like that that has been I, I think what i'm doing right now with the marketing world of storytelling is like my favorite thing i have done thus far and i was kind of like i found like this is what i'm supposed to be doing i'm not yeah. i think with all the other ones i i, I, the, I inadvertently was in a band sort of a restaurant did real estate well i think like i feel like i found i don't know just who i am more yeah and i in, in this sort of season. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, this has been great. Jamie Ice is a optimistic visionary for Fort Worth. He's a vulnerable leader who does hard things. And most importantly, he is a man in the arena. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate you joining us. That's a, that's a very thoughtful, thoughtful wrap up. That was, that's a Riley Kiltman right there. If I had one. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for being part of it. Thanks for joining us on Pit of Despair today. We put this podcast together to encourage you, the listener. Ultimately, we don't want you to feel alone in this journey. For more encouragement from Craftwork, sign up for the Weekly Advocate at craftworkgroup.com. See you next time.